0: On this month's show, our guest is Sally James, author, educator, chef, TV presenter, and syndicated radio host. We'll be talking with her about wine regions in Australia. You'll also get some great ideas on making this Valentine's Day work for you, and we'll give you updates on some closings and good things to come. It's all coming up on the Seattle Dining Show.
1: Uh, Right now, Sally's in my kitchen. She's looking in the gadget drawer. What are your thoughts that come to mind as you look in my gadget drawer?
2: Well, one of the things takes me right back to childhood with this lovely apple corer and slicer all in one. But I see from your gadget drawer that you must be a very precise person because you have quite a lot of measuring tools here <laughs> yeah. and little whisks and delightful things. But um, there's something here that leaves me a bit, it's sort of, Covered in little. Um, well, dare I pull it out and show you? Yeah, that's a meat pounder. But why the shape that it is? Uh, so curious. you could
1: you could tenderize it in different ways, like like with the larger diamond shapes there, or the smaller, depending. Because like if you if you want to tenderize something that's already kind of not a large piece of protein, uh, if if you hit it too hard with those with those big ones, you'll probably bust it all up, you know. So,
2: ah, right, I've only ever seen the ones that are like mallets, and you bang, 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 right. bang. But this is this looks very.
1: Yeah, I think the neighbors still hear that when I'm working with that one. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I yeah, see the the garlic crusher and um and a rubber band with a no. Okay, ah,
1: uh, that's for doing eggs, so you can make an egg sandwich. <laughs> Little circular frame. Little circular silicone frame that she's looking at. And it and,
2: sits in a
1: pan? Yes, yeah, it it's in a pan and then you put your your oil in or your butter or whatever and then you drop your egg in.
2: And it doesn't seep out from underneath?
1: Uh most days, no.
2: <laughs> and is that just for holding it with this little
1: It's just to get the shape.
2: Yeah, that's that twists up. Uh-huh.
1: Oh yeah, that flips up, you hold it so you can pull it up when you're done. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> And you mentioned the whisk. There's, I think there's seven different types of whisk in there. Yes, sir. I sort of did a whole lot of homework on whisk. That big one is a, uh, a dough whisk. It's almost as big as like the kind of whisk you might see on one of those KitchenAid things. Ah. But it's really nice for working with dough because nothing gets stuck in it since that's just that flat edge. You know, the, the way the wire wraps is all flat.
2: Oh, that's great. So. Can I say something that I'm not fa- not particularly partial to here? Because I'm oh from, the
1: little tea. I'm from infuser. the land of tea,
2: and when when I feel when you put tea leaves in one of these, it keeps the leaves all trapped together. Whereas I like to put them loose in a pot so they can all circulate and all get the surface area out. I find oh, and then you're running through a filter after that. Yeah, you pour, your tea- you pour yeah, it that, out through work. a lovely tea strainer. Yeah,
1: or you could just put a little less in there so the tea is looser instead of packing it.
2: You How could do the that. One I, got
1: you? I don't know. Connie wants to know where the one is that she got me, and I don't know where it is. It it's probably up at Salvation Army at it this point. Okay. Right, right. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, you got the tour of the uh, kitchen. Now it's time to get the show going.
3: Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by Queen Anne Olive Oil. Explore their huge selection of flavor-infused olive oils and balsamics. Mix and match to create some unique taste treats. Take a field trip soon to the top of Queen Anne and experience oils and vinegars in a whole new way. Find more information at QueenAnneOliveOil.com.
0: Hi, this is Ethan Stoll. Welcome to the Seattle Dining Show.
3: Coming to you live from the Test Kitchen Studio high atop Queen Anne Hill, it is time for the Seattle Dining Show. Join us as we explore news about Northwest restaurants, take a look at upcoming events, discover new kitchen tips you can use at home, dive into great recipes, and much more. And now, here's your host, the senior editor, Connie Adams, and whoever else just happened to drop by today.
0: Welcome to the February 2021 Seattle Dining Show, number 2102. It's the beginning of the year of the ox and the month of love with Valentine's Day. I'm Connie Adams, senior editor, and I'm here with Tom Marin, publisher and owner of Seattle Dining.
1: I got one! Uh Uh-oh. What is going on with all these gnats right now? Every time I open up my front door, it feels like ten more fly in. (laughs) Well, as you said... Extra protein. We're always thinking about food. Yeah, they, they do. They're pretty nice in soup. You. We should probably get into the business of that and start selling them as freeze-dried gnats for protein in soup. You know, the problem is they're
0: so small. I mean, you'd have to
1: have like a lot to well, really have. Well, it doesn't little. seem like it'd be a problem to get a lot right now to start <laughs> the business, and then you just like leave a bunch of vegetables and stuff in a room somewhere. And,
0: yeah, but you know how do you how do you prepare the gnats?
1: Oh, you just put them in the soup
0: just
1: and str- ruin them. <laughs> and then no one knows they're there. They think they're pepper flakes by that point. <laughs> I am never eating here again. <laughs>
0: I don't know what else you've decided it would be good for me to eat. (sighs) (laughs) Well, hey, I thought since it is the month of love that we might talk about some great ideas on how to express that love during this COVID Valentine's Day month. Ah. So here's, here's a couple ideas from me. Since you maybe can't be together, you could have Walmart deliver a lot of red food, heart-shaped things, red wine. And since it's Walmart, they probably have a red teddy bear or a red matchbox car. You could just have them deliver it straight to somebody's house.
1: You could just ha- like go and shop for all the leftover Santa stuff and just send them like red Santa jackets. and
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. You don't want them to feel like you're saying you're so fat you need a red Santa jacket, though. I don't know. <laughs> You've got to be careful. you got to be sensitive. <laughs> hey, there's always Zoom dinners. You could uh, just, you know, make sure that you use the waiting room feature so your little brother doesn't jump in at a bad moment. I mean, That's what could go point. wrong?
1: Or or just little brother doesn't jump in at a bad moment, not your little brother. Yeah, brother. any little brother. Hey, this is little brother. <laughs> yeah, I'm here for the Valentine's dinner. yeah
0: I don't know who little brother is, and I didn't understand any of that. Right, right. Well,
1: you don't know who little brother is, but he's probably off somewhere, you know, jumping in from who knows, Kentucky.
0: or Yeah, yeah. Zimbabwe. Yeah. You don't know. You could um, drink and then text each other. What could go wrong there? I don't think anything. Nothing. You could create a say-anything moment and play, like, your song outside that special person's window. You could dress up as his or her favorite food. You could even do, like, dress up as a hot dog and do take me out to the ballpark,
1: you know. Oh, yeah, where you can't go... <laughs> it, 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 explain to me, I mean, are there people that are doing, like, online dating but haven't actually met each other and they've been dating online the whole COVID-19? I, I know some people
0: who have begun dating online during COVID, and what they do is they just stay online for a while, and then when they feel like they want to meet, they meet when you could at an outdoor dining place, you know, ah. something like that where they where they're outside. Oh, okay. And then they decide, yeah, okay. I do still want to see this person, and they, you know, still keep in touch by phone, and and then, you know, and then next week,
1: They're they're outside your window, dressed as a hot dog from a ghetto blaster. Yeah. Okay. Yeah,
0: it it could happen. It could really happen. (laughs) You know, another thought is you could figure out who your partner's favorite chef is, have them make their specialty and deliver it to them personally, like leaving it on the front step, waving from a distance, wearing a mask. And we're thinking they won't mind you asking, and they're probably not that busy on. It's only
1: Valentine's Day. Yeah, right? exactly. And 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 money is no object. Money so, no, yeah, you know. Yeah, they're looking for stuff. Chefs to do, line so. up. Yeah. Set your prices now. <laughs> hit, hit your Facebook account and tell everybody what you'll do for them. You know. <laughs>
0: yeah, I'm sure.
1: Like uh, what, Eric uh, Rivera? Yeah. Come on, what's that going to be? Twenty five hundred bucks for him to drop by and drop off. One of his specialty yeah. dinners?
0: I don't know. Eric's, Eric's prices range wildly. So, yeah. you know, you could probably just do anything.
1: And there are people who will pay. Yeah.
0: And those not, are the people not, you want to know as a chef. Yeah, not me. Yeah. but <laughs> Other people. Well, and if you do live together, you could surprise your partner with dinner outdoors
1: in a tent. And it would be just like going out. I think you would love it if I made dinner for you and you had to eat it in a tent. Yeah, you know how I feel about camping. So I, I know you love tents. Yeah. So the whole thing would just be heavenly, or or you know it wouldn't it you wouldn't feel like you were going out to a restaurant you might feel like you're just like over on the west side of Green Lake right <laughs> in a tent
0: I would just feel homeless.
1: In fact, why don't we just go do a pop up tent on the west side of Green Lake and I'll feed you Valentine's dinner and anybody else who shows up. Yeah. Oh, wait a minute, that would be like a hundred people. Yeah. Okay. You, you really can't do
0: that. You can't offer. And besides that, every time I walk Green Lake, they're, they're out there, and they've got uh, grills going, and I think they're fine with it. I know.
1: It's like, it's like all of a sudden Green Lake's like a KOA or something. I, I don't know. know. Yeah. Well, they got the lake there. I mean, you've already got water sports going on. And, and, and plenty of other places around Seattle. We just have free camping everywhere in this city yeah. right now. Welcome to free camping,
0: Thank people. goodness it's so uh, pretty and natural around this area. So there's so many places
1: you can live when you're homeless. Yeah, but the geese can't fly in because uh, somebody set up a bunch of pallets on the waterfront at Bitter Lake and set their tents up on top of that. Now all the geese have to go to the baseball diamond.
0: I wonder how often something like that happens and actually does start altering the migration pattern. Oh
1: man.
0: Another study now you're to take up something. You got to take up a whole other research project on this one.
1: Or or could you do could you go to like uh Bitter Lake and and uh, and then the slaughter a geese right there and have uh, uh, a goose for Valentine's Day dinner oh, there you in go. your tent yeah. by the waterfront? I wonder how much that
0: would freak out all your uh tent neighbors. <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe not the way to impress your tent neighbor. I wonder what would
1: freak out all the geese that knew that that was one of their brethren that is now your dinner.
0: (laughs) Hey, they know. They talk. Yeah. All right. Any more great ideas for Valentine's Day?
1: Oh, I don't know. You know, you just grab a tube of lipstick and go and put little hearts on people's rearview mirrors and (laughs) stuff like that. (laughs) There you go. Uh, you know, you could just take the Walmart concept and just do your own dinner at home with everything red. You know, pepperoni yeah. and... Uh, Mama uh, Lil's. Yeah, Mama Lil's. Just some nice, nice yeah. pepper. Out-of-season
0: watermelon.
1: Mm-mm-mm. Tomato soup. Yeah, there you go. Uh, 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 tartar. Yeah, beef tartar. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's just getting better and better. Yeah. <laughs>
0: so many things to do. and We only have a few weeks.
1: That's why we call it the Seattle Dining Show. (laughs) Well, speaking of that,
0: do you want to talk about where we've been eating and drinking and what we've been making at home? Sure. Um, Since I had so little to say in January, I thought I'd better go try some things. So we did get dinner from Tangerine Thai in Greenwood, and and it was fine. Um, I it, it didn't blow me away. It had a lot of really good um, uh, reviews and stuff, but it, it was pretty typically Thai. Yeah, it was it, just it, typical, and it, it wasn't
1: anything super magnificent going on flavor-wise. Yeah.
0: yeah. So then one day for lunch, I went down to Elliott Bay Pizza slash Flame Burger, you know, because they have pizza and burgers. But what did I do? I got a Euro. Because I'd never had one there, and it was actually pretty good. Oh, I, I who knew, you know, that they would be doing euros. I, I'm not crazy about their burgers; they don't have a lot of flavor. Yeah. Even the ones with a lot of stuff on them, like blue cheese and stuff, it's still. Um, I like their. I get their pizza by the slice hmm. for lunches every now and then, and and their pizza's pretty decent. But who knew about the euro? So hmm. that was my. Going out thing. Have you had any Did going out? Did you have
1: out? it in the Euro of 2020 or Euro <laughs> of 2021? Uh, it was the uh, Euro of 2021
0: because that's oh, yeah. where we're doing the show.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, where have I gone? Well, I went to, uh, speaking of Greenwood, uh, I went to uh, Maki, M-A-K-I. I think that's how you say it. Uh, down there, uh, just above 85th, right off at Greenwood. Anybody who remembers where the old McDonald's used to be there, that's where Maki oh, yeah. is in the back. And I uh, had some teriyaki chicken and uh, some niguri, and it was pretty good. Pretty good. good the the, the niguri was fresh. It wasn't nothing fishy about it at all. Mm-hmm. The uh, teriyaki was pretty good. And then uh, I hadn't been over we're going to stay on the subject of teriyaki here. Okay. I haven't been over to the Ichi roll in mm, a while, yeah, up in Broadview. And I went in there and I ordered a teriyaki chicken with brown rice. It uh, cost me 11 bucks. And man, when I opened up the box, I think they did like uh, at least two, if not three, thighs, of teriyaki chicken. Wow. And then the brown rice was, you know, it was brown rice. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the salad, they had the the dressing on the side. You know, it's tricky when they're packing those to-go boxes because you're like, hey, wait, there's lettuce in there and you've got 160-degree teriyaki. What's going to happen to my lettuce on the way home? Mm -hmm. But uh, they use this (laughs) kind of thick iceberg lettuce, so it (laughs) held together pretty good. And uh, I put the put the dressing on, and uh, oh, a really good, tasty lunch actually. Oh wow, that's good to know. So,
0: did they did that change ownership? No, it was the Thai place next to it. That changed
1: no, well, ownership. It, it's not the original owners from when they start. Oh, okay, it's changed. Oh, yeah, both okay. those places have the 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 what is that Thai place? Chata Thai. Yeah, Chata Thai. Yeah, yeah. The original owner probably died of emphysema. <laughs> Man, he smoked like a oh no chimney. Oh, no. So, anyways, that's where I've been eating.
0: Okay. Well, eating at home, I've had, uh, yet again from last month, I didn't have enough to talk about, so I've been working it. And I did do a quite, I thought, excellent lamb dinner.
1: That was a delicious lamb dinner
0: you made. They were rib chops, and I marinated them, and then we grilled them. You grilled them. And then I had an olive oil and garlic sauce that went over it. So it was a very simple thing. But, boy, it was delicious. And then I made some tzatziki from scratch and had a little pita bread. And the the tzatziki was very good on top of the rib chops mm-hmm. or just on the side.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, um, anybody who follows me on Facebook uh, knows I'm working on a book about the magic of food. Yes. Creating the magic in food. And that lamb, that you nailed it. It was it was really nice lamb from PCC. Mm-hmm. It was tender. Uh, I barbecued it and was vigilant with my instant read thermometer, yeah. and we pulled it at one thirty. And uh, it was oh god, it was so good, and it just had layers of flavor in it. Mm-hmm. It was it was it was magical.
0: Yeah, and that I'm putting that recipe. In the February issue of Seattle Dining. So oh, if it. that's
1: um, something you guys would be interested in, go there and try it. And we may put it in the book. It has a lot of ingredients. But um, well, we may put it in the book. You know, the lamb itself does not. It's yeah, the tzatziki, it's tzatziki and yeah.
0: the and the marinade. So it looks like, you know, you got a marinade, you got the tzatziki, you got the lamb. It yeah, seems it like l- a lot. But yeah, it looks
1: like it would be a lot of work when you start with it. But it really wasn't. So. And you could always make the tzatziki a day ahead, exactly, which would be nice because that's one of the things I cover in the book is is uh, the magic of melding. Yeah, letting the food meld for a day, let the tzatziki meld for a day, yeah. let all that garlic yeah. and and all that stuff come together as as one. Yeah, I will say that if that is your plan, think ahead
0: because the other day, I, the other night, I just wanted, I wasn't hungry, hungry. I just wanted a bite of something, and I thought, oh my god. I had, like, half a piece of pita left and, and that tzatziki, and mm-hmm. it was, like, two days. Oh, my God. There was so much garlic in there. It really oh. – the garlic really comes out. So oh. if you're going to make it and and let it meld, uh-huh. put maybe a little less garlic in because it will good idea. strengthen. That's a good point. And it's not that it was bad,
1: believe Look at me. Look this. It's only the first segment of the show, and the tips and tricks are ah, they're flowing. They're flying. They are wow. just flying. Um, um, also, uh, was there any tzatziki left after that, or was that it?
0: Um, since it was a couple days old, I, I I ate most of it, and then the
1: small amount was left I got. Well, could I it. put that into ice cubes and freeze them? Wouldn't that kind of be like doing the same thing you would do with pesto or whatever? You know, you probably kind of so. It? The only
0: the only concern I would have is that there's cucumber in it, and cucumber is so watery. When it oh, m- yeah. melted, I think it would get, it might get watery. It would get kind of funky. It would I think it would just not be very flavorful. It would just be thin. Yeah, you know.
1: Hmm. Yeah. All right. Well.
0: And you know that's one of those things. Anybody want to so, test it
1: out? Just let us know how it goes. I think that's one
0: of those things that's so fresh and wonderful that you don't want to have a lot left over. Well, you know, it's you not hard to make.
1: pesto, which has a lot of basil in it. Yeah, and it actually, but but I mean, at that point, it's pretty pretty ripped down. Yeah, so. it's not like the cucumber. I don't know. Hmm.
0: So then, um. The other night, last night, I made an Asian scallop dish. That was mostly a good experience. Uh, To me, it didn't have the magic. I didn't dislike it. I thought it was okay. We both ate all our scallops. Um, I tried to um, put almond flour on it as a little crust, and Mm -hmm. I put some egg white on it, and it's still... I think almond flour doesn't stick very well. So you were
1: substituting almond flour for panko flour? No.
0: For cornstarch was the original recipe, and I didn't want to use it. But I'm thinking panko would work better than the almond flour. Oh, yeah. And and you can actually get organic panko. That's what I thought I had at home. This
1: might work if you want to try this over again sometime, is um, use coconut flour. Coconut oh. flour is a lot thicker consistency and will will sort of bind to itself, mm-hmm. as opposed to the almond flour. Yeah, and it'd be more like using panko or or like using cornstarch. Yeah, and and then it's gonna you know crisp up when you put it in yeah. yours. You fried, uh-huh. in, uh in 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 what an inch of oil? I put five
0: tablespoons in.
1: Okay. Because I didn't want a bunch of oil. Oh, that's right. You did one side, and then you did something, and then you flipped it. I did
0: actually change that. I flipped it and cooked it and then took it out. It, it. I had looked it up, and it said scallops should be about 130. So I was pulling them at like 123 because I, then I was going to make the sauce and put the scallops back in. And scallops <laughs> can go quick on you. I right. didn't want oh, them to get tough. Oh, you have to be careful.
1: And that's where that instant read thermometer comes in yeah. handy again Oh, because it was, I was using it. checking them.
0: Yeah, I was using it all the whole time.
1: Yeah, so yeah.
0: so it was well, it was good. It had soy sauce and oyster sauce, um, some chicken stock, black pepper. Uh, it, 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 I didn't dislike it as I said, but it didn't just wow me. And maybe maybe it is the.
1: Oh, it was the flour for sure. It yeah. was the almond flour. It kind of caked up and and wound yeah. up on one side of the. Oh, yeah, you know, it was. So
0: we'll try that again and. And see.
1: But that's what we do here. You know, We're, we, we we take these recipes and then we flip them upside down because we want to eat healthier and we have to learn along the way. And mm-hmm. so just talking to each other, we can kind of yeah. get those more tips and tricks. Exactly. Oh my God. They're coming out. So. All right.
0: Now, what about you? You've been cooking at home.
1: Yeah. I, I had a hankering for sausages and peppers. So, uh, oh, and by the way, your scallops were uh, dry scallops that came oh, yeah. from PCC. PCC.
0: And I did have to special order them. I went to the Ballard PCC, uh-huh. and they only had wet scallops. And the guy in the seafood department did say, you know, it does make a difference. And I said, yeah, I know. And he goes, I can get them for you if you want them tomorrow. So, so I said, yeah, get them for me. Oh, hey, nice.
1: Yeah. That's nice to know. Yeah. You can go in and special order seafood and have it come in. And it was fresh. Yeah, they were yeah, really fresh. fresh. Uh, so uh, I, I had a hankering for sausages and peppers. And so. Uh, As you often do. I did a little homework, looked up a couple of recipes. Then I crafted up my own and went out and bought uh, a couple of different types. I bought some pork sausage and some chicken sausage and uh, got them back home. And lo and behold, bingo on the first try. Got yeah. a really delicious dish. Uh, later, I made the same thing for you, but mm-hmm. mine also didn't. It, beyond just the the, uh, it, was, it was it was sausages and onions and peppers. Mm-hmm. And I know you don't like peppers, so I made mm-hmm. yours just with the onions. Mm-hmm. But uh, I used uh, grass fed butter instead of using any kind of oil in there. And man, it was it was satisfactory. And I have to say, sausage.
0: A sausage dinner, when someone says that to me, I get kind of like, oh, okay. Because it just doesn't excite me. I I was not looking forward to it particularly. Mm -hmm.
1: And it was really good. And most of the recipes I came across, they were barbecuing the sausages. Mm. And I just, I just heated up the pan. And right from the get go, I put all the ingredients in the pan as it was warming up. Mm-hmm. So I could coat everything with the butter as it was melting. Yeah. And so the sausages were cooking the whole time. I think the total cooking time was about 20 minutes. And um, just about the time those onions caramelized nice was the same time that the sausage hit 160. Yeah. Yeah. So, what could be better? Yeah, if I was going to make it again, what I would do is uh, I'd cut away that exterior tube on the sausage mm-hmm. after it's cooked. I really didn't like uh, getting that stuck in my mouth no. and my teeth and whatever. Hmm, that didn't that so, didn't hit
0: me that way for some reason.
1: But I'd I'd skin them, you know. But yeah. Before I serve them next time, we'll see yeah. what happens with that. I I put some mustard with them. That was quite good. Yeah, we didn't
0: have mustard when we did it for me, and I I, know, I didn't miss it. it I was... forget
1: to do stuff sometimes. <laughs> oh, well, you had
0: another. I had win. another
1: home run, didn't I? Yeah. The Moroccan chicken. Yeah. Uh, and what got me on this was I was thinking the other day about um when we used to go to Serafina. They made a Moroccan chicken, but their chicken was based on not only Morocco, but Morocco has always been a big spice trader and trader of goods with southern Italy. And so uh, years and years ago, Dylan Wearden came up with a recipe that incorporated some bits of of South Italy and then Morocco. So you had those spices out of Morocco, but you had – what was the grain that was in this? Parsley yeah and and pine nuts, yeah and oh my god we 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 used to love that, and dried fruit, mm-hmm. so then uh, I just again, I went online, looked up several different recipes, some from reputable sources and uh and then I took uh what I had thought about with Dylan, and I crafted up this thing, and oh my God, first try, home run. So uh that one will will publish soon as well. Yeah. And it is more than 10 ingredients cuz that spice blend is about yeah. eight ingredients all on its own. Yeah. But you you get those pine nuts, you toast them up cuz that's part of the magic is toasting those nuts. But you know what you
0: actually used almonds cuz you didn't have any pine nuts. Yeah. yeah. And they and they were toasted, but they were delicious. Yep. Yeah. So listen, I have a funny name story about Dylan.
1: It's really Jordan. Because it's G I O R. I know I kind of screwed it up when I said yeah. it on purpose because uh, I wasn't sure.
0: Oh, okay. So, so there's that. But then I was looking in the old KCTS chef cooks books mm-hmm. at stuff, and there was a recipe from him when he was, uh, I think, I think it was when he was at Serafina. Yeah, and he, it was listed as Dylan Gordon.
1: <laughs> it was like, wow, this poor guy. Somebody thought the G I O was uh, a mistake, some kind of a typo. Yeah. <laughs> when I was a little boy, I used to have those G I O doll. Oh no, that's what G I O's. <laughs> Anyways, you know what? Uh, we're going to take a break right now, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about some wine we've been drinking. We've got some news bites, we got the calendar, and all kinds of stuff. Excellent. We'll be right
3: back. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by. Salty Seafood Waterfront Restaurants. Visit them on the water at their Alki, Redondo, and Portland locations.
1: Hi, I'm Carly from Tacoma. When you're visiting Tacoma, I recommend going to Fujia for sushi. Hi, this is Chef Bill Raniger from Duke's Chatterhouse, and you're listening to the Seattle Dining Show. Hey, we're back on the Seattle Dining Show. I'm Tom Barron, the publisher. I'm here with the lovely Connie Adams, front of the house. Oh, it must be the month of love. She's in the front of the house because she's lovely. I'm in the back of the house because I'm ugly.
0: (laughs) Mismatch.
1: (laughs) Anyways, uh, that first segment ran a little long, so we cut out the wine part. So here we are, back to wine about wine. And we we do... We have been, as we
0: have mentioned, looking for inexpensive wines because you know you're home a lot more, perhaps drinking more than usual, so you can't go out buying those expensive wines. Um, There's a witching hour. It's called witching hour. It's a red blend um, that we've been getting at um, Total Wine. Total Wine, Um, and it's you know it's fine for an everyday wine. It's that is it. What is it?
1: California, probably. I believe so, yeah.
0: Okay. Most of the inexpensive wines we've found
1: are California. Yeah. don't um, kit- buying a lot of inexpensive Washington wines, but I guess the wineries are all doing pretty good here, right? Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. Um, there's every a, time I go by Champion Cellars, there's like a line out the door. I'm like, what are they doing in there? Are they giving away like free Big Macs with every bottle of wine or Well, something? you know, that shop is so small and they won't let anyone in it. So everyone is outside. Oh, so it's only one customer at a time. Yeah. Oh, that happens to me when I go to the pot shop. Oh. Oops. Shh, well, uh, shh, Anyways.
0: <laughs> um, we found a white blend, the kitchen sink. Um, and it will do in a pinch, but honestly, I wouldn't go out and get it again. I mean, I will probably forget and accidentally buy it. but um,
1: <laughs> It will give you a month or two of Yeah, you?
0: but it wasn't one that wowed me. I don't know if you even remember it.
1: I don't. Yeah. Then we tried to... I, I know a, my kitchen sink well. Yes, you're personal. I, it seems like I spend like half my day loading the dishwasher and unloading the dishwasher. I know my kitchen sink. Oh, yeah. I, honestly,
0: before COVID, I'd, I'd run a load in my dishwasher once a week. Really? Yeah, I, I just wow.
1: Um, You're not cooking at home enough
0: before COVID. No, I now. wasn't, and and it was doing simple stuff that didn't require a lot of dishes, huh? Um, the last one, well, actually, second to last, it's two birds blanc, and it's French. Um, I was not so crazy about it. You thought it was fine. I
1: thought it was pretty good. Kind mm-hmm. of had a, a cross between Mister Clean and. <laughs> uh, no.
0: <laughs> it might be because I thought I had no, an odd that, flavor I it was pretty good
1: it, it, it you know as, as as French wines go, it didn't have like that loire terroir yeah. to it, but it was uh it was, I don't think it was from Loire, but yeah, no, no, but it was good
0: yeah um, and then right now, what you are sipping on at this moment is Pacific peak, oh baby two
1: ninety nine a bottle seriously, oh, you gotta get it. Two ninety? Are you serious? Two ninety-nine. 99 a bottle. I know. Now you're shaking. I
0: know. I don't want to have it anymore. <laughs> God knows what I'm putting in my body. Every time I bu- I get something really cheap, I think about Jeffrey out at WT Vintners, who says he's the winemaker, and he said, you know, alcohol is a poison in our bodies. So why would you put the worst poison in? At least if you're going to do it, I ain't dead. I know. <laughs> but but I, his words stick I'm in my still head. Still alive.
1: Even after COVID-19, I'm still alive, you know?
0: <laughs> it's not over. Hang in there. Be careful. I know.
1: Did you get your vaccine? No, are you getting your vaccination next I, week? I ha- no, in March. Oh, in March. It's not until oh, okay. March. And, yeah. I, I, and I, God knows when I'm getting mine because I'm so much younger than you. Uh, they don't even have a date for me yet. Yeah, but I'll still be alive. <laughs> <laughs> And I'll be be going out with my Pacific Peak wine. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The poison.
0: All right. Shall we talk about News Bites and what's happening?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, Just as a reminder, you can always keep up with our News Bites. We we add them as we go along, so you can read the column at seattledining.com under News Bites. Rubenstein bagels. It was a pop-up and delivery kind of thing. Now it has its own home in the Via 6 building, you know, where Tom Douglas had all that stuff, and he he left, and and, uh, Ethan went in. Yeah, this little
1: marketplace that was down
0: there. Sixth and Lenora. Remedy. Yeah, all that's gone. Mm -hmm. He does about 12 types of bagels. He does breakfast and lunch sandwiches and a few other options and coffee.
1: Well, that must be tough, I guess. With the with the residential population in the area, but like you know, a lot of the Amazon people they're all working from home, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. It's got to be from the building or the you know residences around.
1: Maybe the gardener inside the interior green bubble. Maybe he goes. <laughs> yeah, and gets he'll be a
0: over bacon. there all the time.
1: Let's see. Hitchcock on Bainbridge is
0: doing kind of an interesting series. They're doing guest chef street food pop ups, and and they're friends who are chefs from around the country are coming in on like three to four day weekends and doing something fun. So it all happens in front of the Hitchcock Deli. This is again on Bainbridge Island. Um, February 5th through the 7th, it's Carlo Lamagna from Clyde Common in Portland. And then the 19th through the 21st, it's Osmel Gonzalez from Single Thread in Healdsburg, California. So I think, you know, if you want something different and you can, Bear the cold out in the parking lot?
1: Might have to bear Make the fun. price of all the travel expenses to getting these guys up here, right?
0: I'm, uh, you know, who knows? They might be just looking for a getaway, too. Yeah. You know, Maybe they're, they're not even working, really. They, their places are probably closed, and, you know, yeah. so it's, and it, it's, um, they're friends, but it's also a, a way to get exposed to new crowds, mm-hmm. especially for somebody as close as Portland
1: or Healdsburg. Yeah, Healdsburg's right around the corner. Yeah, just around the corner in Healdsburg. Yeah, I like Healdsburg.
0: So, uh, I think the big news this month, everybody was gasping over, was that Chef Brady Williams has announced he's leaving Canlis as of February 27th to open his own place, which no details have come out about yet. And Mark and Brian are on the hunt for a new chef.
1: Chef Yurt. Chef Yurt,
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: Somebody who can... Kurt Yurt. (laughs) <laughs> Let me help you in your yurt, and I'll bring you dessert. <laughs> I'll bring you dessert in the yurt. All right, we're moving on now.
0: <laughs> uh, one of the big closures, permanent closures, is the White House Crawford in Walla Walla. That has been around quite a, quite a while. Um, and there's apparently a family in Othello who has a number of restaurants that are going to put something in that location.
1: Well, that's a heartbreaker, huh? It's pretty good food there.
0: You know, for me, it is not a heartbreaker. Um, everybody just talked that place up, and maybe I got there too late because it had been around a number of years before I ever got there. But the service, I felt talked down to all the time. Oh. I was condescending to. Huh. I always felt that. It was like I was not cool enough to be there.
1: I wouldn't know because I can't hear they come over and say what do you want to order and I'll be like what did you just say
0: maybe that's where I found the condescension coming from maybe they didn't treat you well enough as a deaf person they yell
1: what do you want to eat I said (laughs) hey are you condescending me man
0: (laughs) didn't happen that way just saying (laughs) All right, the folks behind Walla Walla State Company we're talking Paul McKay Dan Thiessen and Philip whose name I can never pronounce his last name I'm not going to try right now, <laughs> um, have purchased basil cellars. And they're going to operate it as a lodging spot. They have a bunch of plans coming up. Nothing has been announced. So keep an eye on that. I think it's going to be a really interesting thing.
1: Now, can you talk about Andre or not? Um uh, you know, I didn't put that in here. I guess
0: we didn't talk. He's he's moving. Yeah. So from Andre's
1: the- kitchen that was in the gas station, yeah. but everybody was crazy about it. Yeah, is uh, going uptown into downtown. Yeah, where the old Olive Marketplace Marketplace was. Yeah. So all kinds of stuff going in in Walla yeah. going on in Walla Walla. In fact, if you were thinking about doing a field trip to Walla Walla after all this nonsense ends, uh watch out for these things. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be good.
0: Yeah. Um, The other thing that's going on with the folks behind Walla Walla State Co. is that they have finalized placement in Woodenville. So, you know, the Walla Walla State Company is in the historic train depot in Walla Walla. Mm -hmm. Now in Woodenville, they're going to be in the historic schoolhouse number 23. So they're kind of keeping that... But that's not the same schoolhouse that's in the Hollywood district No, 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 no. It's over pretty, pretty close to when you get off the freeway income, dropping down into Woodenville.
1: Oh, I know where you're talking about. Yep, yep. Yeah.
0: And there's going to be a Crossbuck Brewing Taproom there as well. It's um, two floors. They're going to have the restaurant, the bar, an event, event entertainment space, and they're looking at a 2022, early 2022 opening. Wow. Yeah, they've got lots going on. Then it's kind of sad the wandering goose on Capitol Hill has closed permanently.
1: Um, Where will we get our biscuits and gravy? Well,
0: good news for you, you can get them up on Capitol Hill because the biscuit recipe actually belongs to Chef Mike Law, and he is the chef up at Rapport. Oh, and they do breakfast and coffee. Okay, so you can get those biscuits there.
1: And Heather, that owned the Wandering Goose, still has the Tokeland yeah. Hotel, which mm-hmm. is uh, uh, Washington State's oldest hotel. Yeah, she and her husband—oldest, uh, one of the oldest dining facilities in the state. There's always, you know, what's the oldest place to eat at? Well, one's a tavern, one's a bar, one's a hotel. Yeah. So there's various ways that works. Well,
0: cafe to cafe.
1: Oldest place to eat? Uh, well, we had the Tokeland on the cafe. Oh, did we? Cafe Oh, good. Year, yeah. Good, good, good. So.
0: Another closure from Seattle is Lakosho. That's been there quite a while on the Harbor Steps. That has closed permanently.
1: Hmm. You would think with the residential population at the Harbor Steps, they would have supported it. But maybe there was another reason why they went.
0: Well, yeah, and there's certainly... I don't know if they were able, you know, if they were allowed to put tables outside. But it's, I don't know. Maybe well, they weren't doing takeout. Maybe, maybe every time
1: didn't. they put a tent out, the wind blew and blew it across the street, It <laughs> yeah. smashed down into, into the bus water. or something. I yeah, I hate it when that happens. <laughs>
0: um, and then in Washington, as of January twenty second, they said that if a restaurant has full roll up doors, they can seat inside at twenty five percent of capacity. So. Like Pokacha, the new Pokacha, Bogacha, jeez, Pokacha mm-hmm. on Mercer Island is gonna is doing that.
1: Well, what's so. that little burger place down in Fremont? They they've got roll up doors. I don't remember the name of it now.
0: Are you talking about the
1: place with the grass fed burgers? And- yeah, they got grass fed. They got yeah. all kinds of burgers. Yeah, yeah. Um, they you, a, you need a burger. you need a burger. You need a burger. That's it. Yeah. In so the old yeah. Radiator shop.
0: Yeah, so hopefully, you know, we'll see some of that going on. And then my
1: last item, um, just like—did you see them putting roll-up doors and candles the other day?
0: <laughs> yeah, right out, <I> <laughs> right by the yurts. Those guys—they <laughs> don't stop at anything. <laughs> so my last item is is like dessert. It's Molly Moon, who now is serving a warm brownie sundae, available in all shops, and that you pick the ice cream and the topping for the brownie. And they're also doing hot cocoa, which is only available at Queen Anne, Wallingford, and Bellevue
1: locations. Or your own home if you want to make it yourself. Yeah. And uh, they're using some uh, Theo dark chocolate and hot yeah. cocoa. Yeah, the
0: 70% Theo dark chocolate. Yeah. So. With right. house-made marshmallows. So.
1: Ooh. So I that's, don't know how to make a marshmallow. I guess I should get a bunch of white stuff and goop it together. Yeah. Huh? A lot
0: of sugar, I'm thinking.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Huh. All right. Do you want to take a break or would you like to head Let's go to the calendar
1: because you don't have a whole lot, although I know online you you probably have all this stuff itemized. Yeah.
0: Uh, Basically, uh, we're just going to tell you today, Valentine's Day is a Sunday this year. A lot of people are doing stuff for the weekend. There's a lot going on, of course, mostly takeout. There's some outdoor dining as well. Um, El Gaucho, La Coin, Delil Cellars, Rain Shadow Meats is putting a meat box together for people, Spinace, Lil Red's, Sushi Kashiba, Eden Hill Restaurant and Provisions, Daniel's, Basa is um, doing Valentine's Day and Lunar New Year. Um, Foods Catering is doing a date night virtual cooking class so you can cook together and then, you know, learn online as you're doing it and then have your meal together. Mm Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, there's stuff going on, and, and as Tom said, it's it's all on listed out online, so you can go there, and we'll keep adding things as we hear them. Yeah. Then um, Friday through Sunday, from 10 to 5, on the 12th through the 14th of February, is Red Wine and Chocolate in the Yakima Valley. So it's a, I didn't realize that, but of course it's also President's Day weekend. They're also going to do some live music at places, special activities, some seasonal savings, so it won't be
1: quite the same, but... It's still happening. Yeah, like social distance for that type of activity. In a a place like Yakima that was sky high with cases for a while. Yeah,
0: and, you know, it seems to me this time of year it could be nippy. Personally,
1: I just sort of back off and wait until next year on that. Yeah, yeah. But that's just me.
0: But, you know, they're desperate. they got to do stuff. Yeah. Hey, the last thing I was going to mention is that um, Taste Washington has come out and said, of course, we're not doing an in-person thing because it's in March. But since March is Washington Wine Month, they're going to do a whole bunch of virtual things. And one of the things they're talking about is that restaurants can choose to be part of one of five themed weeks. And the, the themes are like barbecue paired with Syrah or noodles and dumplings paired with Riesling. Mm-hmm. So uh, then you can get that food You know, and and participate in that and take it home. Huh. Or, you know, something like that, or eat in a tent.
3: So they're
0: they're working on stuff, and there's, uh, as of February 8th, so very soon, they will be putting out all that information to the public.
1: Okay, so watch the Taste Washington website on that. Yeah. 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 All righty. Well, we have a special guest who, uh, she's from Australia. She worked her way to California, but she knew that she always wanted to be a special guest on Seattle Dining, (laughs) and she's here with us today. We'll be right back with our special guest.
3: Support for Seattle Dining and The Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by... Petra Mediterranean Bistro. Take a journey to Greece, Lebanon, Jordan, and the North Shore of Africa by way of Belltown as you dine in a welcoming atmosphere and experience the hospitality the chef call provides. Need a quick bite? Drop into the attached cafe or shop for authentic flavors in the adjoining store. Visit PetraBistro.com for more information.
1: Hi, my name is Jessica, and I'm just now moving here to Washington in Tumwater,
0: and I'm looking forward to finding the best restaurants that Seattle has to offer.
1: Hi, this is Chris. I'm from Panther Creek Cellars. We're located in Dundee, Oregon, and you are listening to the Seattle Dining Show. We are back on the Seattle Dining Show. I'm Tom Barron, the publisher. I'm here with Connie Adams, the front of the house and the senior editor. And we have a special guest in-house today who uh, sort of uh, uh, has made her way here all the way from Australia. Yes. Tell us all about our friend Sally James. Excellent. Sally, welcome.
0: Thank you for having me, Connie. Absolutely. So... Um Sally's an award-winning Australian chef who is an uh, ambassador for Australian food and wine and known for food and wine pairing, health and creativity, which is, of course, all the things we love. And what we're going to do today is talk about Australian wine regions. And one of the interesting things to me is it's always – people are always talking about it like it's an emerging wine region, a new wine region. But the reality is they've been producing wine – uh, the first cuttings were brought to Australia in 1788, and those necessarily didn't work out well, but by 1820s, they were domestically selling wine, and by 1822, they were exporting. And Australia is
2: one of the largest exporters of wine. What were you telling me, seventh? Yeah, we're the seventh largest exporter, and really those those first cuttings came across. I mean, when you think of history here, you know, yeah. it's embarrassing when I think of history in Australia because we weren't discovered yeah. till 1770, and so... <laughs> Yeah, but they, um, you know, it was established as a penal colony first, and right. and you know mainly from the British, and of course they had to have something to drink, and so they started mm-hmm. planting straight away, and really the first regions in Australia that um, started to gain any success were the Barossa down in South Australia, the Yarra Valley, which is just out of Melbourne, and the Hunter, which is just a few hundred miles from Sydney. And um, all which have, you know, now producing world renowned wines. But that's just the tip of the iceberg, really. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of the things. Like, what
0: are the major wine regions, and what what types of wines grow best? In each region
2: well if you we start with New South Wales because most people know Sydney the best and mm-hmm. um, probably the closest to Sydney would be the Hunter Valley and the Hunter Valley is quite dry and warm um, and they produce absolutely stunning semions they're um, world renowned for just doing pure semions right from broken woods um, has quite a few that they're just um, juicy and citrusy and oh. fresh and beautiful with oysters and that kind of mm-hmm. thing, to, to people like Tyrrells that um, do a gorgeous age semions that have such mouthfeel and roundness to them, um, and Williams wine, which have um, some really distinctive ones too. And the area is also quite renowned for their Shiraz, as mm. we call it, and mm-hmm. and Cabernet, um, because of the heat, they're quite, you know, big and jammy, not quite like the South Australian ones that we're known for. But mm. um, And if you go further south in um, Australia, one of the first regions um, when we had a lot of Italian migrants coming um, they got into a lot of the fruit and vegetable production and Mm. so they went to the Riverina region and that's where a lot of the larger wineries are. That's where, you know, I I really don't like to use this word, but Yellowtail kind of started its Uh heyday. Um, And it's just a, it's an irrigation area. So, because we're a a land fraught with drought and so we really do need irrigation and um, that was set up... um, you know, way in the, in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you go further south to one of my favourite areas on the border between New South Wales and Victoria, you have the Rutherglen area, mm-hmm. and they make absolutely stunning sticky wines, as we call them, or dessert wines, sweet oh, wines. Oh, okay. Yeah, so Betritus oh, right. Riesling and that kind of thing, muskets, do, So,
1: Do you know what the, the men who plough the fields in the Hunter Valley say? They say, Attila the Hunter.
0: Oh, <laughs>
2: God. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the
1: land of bad jokes. Yeah. <laughs> She's
2: it's still... also
1: famous for launching the huntsman spider. The huntsman. Oh, the, oh, the hun-
2: Yeah, I've met many a huntsman spider in my day. <laughs> oh. <laughs> they're the ones who leap, aren't they? They, yeah. they can. Well, the the funnel web is the one that's right on your jabbed. face, like this. You know, oh. right on your face. <laughs> yeah, no, I actually have woken up to a huntsman on my face. It's, no, but they don't hurt. That you know, it's once you get over the shock of it. Yes, <laughs> that would be shocking to me. I'm not a spider person. Uh, no, I've I've had to become one, but um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> no option. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, one of the questions I have, and maybe you're going to get to this in a moment, mm-hmm. but as I was looking over the kind of wines that are produced in each
2: region, one of the grapes that kept coming up was Verdejo. Verdejo, yeah. Well, never we call heard it. Of it. Um, well, it, it's it's really just the same as Verdejo. Oh, okay, the Spanish wine, and oh, okay. there 's quite a bit of that made in both South Australia, but um the place that really stands out for that is West Australia. And um, that Mundar Brook, for example, make a beautiful vodejo, and it's 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 so beautifully lush and soft. It's very food friendly, but it's got some nice vibrant acidity to oh, it as nice. well. So it's really one to look out for. But it is it is the same as vodejo. Um okay. from. We we've done a lot with bringing because of we're a land of many many immigrants. So you'll find mm-hmm. a lot of German varietals, particularly from the Barossa Valley, where a lot of the Germans actually went. Like Bethany Wines established their wines in the 1850s and it's still family owned fifth wow. generation down and so you'll find um you know it gets traminas and rieslings and but one thing um i think australian riesling are becoming quite famous around the world from say the Clare valley in south australia and the eden valley um which are a little bit cooler than the classic barossa or mclaren vale mm-hmm. or adelaide hills and their rieslings are minerally and a bit oh. steely and bone dry oh wow and just so food friendly they um we do have some that are slightly off dry like the more alsatian mm-hmm. german style but classically like the pusey vale or um i've seen those in total wine so if anyone wants to have a <laughs> try i know they're available or the paulette um there's okay. another one but um, they're really – so often people think of South Australia, big jammy Shiraz and yeah. Cabernets and the our classic blend, the GSM. Oh, yes. So, um, yeah, but the Rieslings from there and also our Sauvignon Blancs from South Australia are – much uh, rather than the New Zealand um, grassy grassy and and very very in your face Mm -hmm. you know um, aromatic ours are more like the Bordeaux style Mm. Um, and same as our Chardonnays Um, our Chardonnays at one time a lot of American oak really oaky buttery but but as tastes have evolved in Australia and, and our winemaking industry is very experimental um, like our chefs, really, because we we don't have strong traditions, so we tend to wander around. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Do what feels good.
2: Yeah, yeah. So um, our Chardonnays have really become way more white burgundy style oh. than, you know, your big, um, say, Californian-style yeah. Chardonnays. yeah. And then if we go slightly to the left, via Coonawarra, which was another very oh, famous yeah. area that's um, just sort of bordering between South Australia and um, Victoria. Oh, I shouldn't leave South Australia without mentioning Grange because oh, yeah. Grange has really put us on the map. And that was one that was um, – Max Schubert was the first guy who really started that, and that was in 1950 wow. when they sent him to Europe for Penfolds, And um, he wanted to do – Red bordeaux that could age and age. And I mean, I think still the best Penfolds Grange is made in
0: 1959.
2: Oh, wow. So, and they, you know, they're a few thousand dollars. So they fetch quite a bit, those. Oh, and those they're old still ones. drinkable. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Wow. They're one of the, you know, I've been told by many that they're one of the best wines in the world they've ever enjoyed. So, wow, good old Max. Yes, (laughs) thank you. (laughs) And, you know, it started out that when he first started making them, his reviewers and his peers said, no, this is awful. And don't stop making it. But he kept kept at it knowing that he could get there. Yeah. And he did. That's
0: amazing when somebody has that presence
2: and Mm -hmm. force that they know. Yeah, yeah. And then Victoria, um, which is called home to Melbourne, you have the Yarra Valley, you have the Mornington Peninsula, which is right on the water. Um, you get and the cooler climate, and so you get a lot of blends that are, say, um, Shiraz and... Grenache or Shiraz and Viognier to kind of soften the wines a bit, so the Shiraz, rather than being big and jammy, it's a little tighter and leaner and lower mm. in alcohol because um, it is a cooler climate. Yeah. And um, so, I mean, the Macedon Ranges, the Pyrenees, beautiful sparkling wines. Mm. Um, but for me, sparkling wines you can't beat out of Tasmania, like Oh really, Jantz and Clover Hill. Yeah, Tasmania is. Um, a, a really beautiful winemaking region. And I've been told by French winemakers out of Champagne that it's the most similar terroir and soil outside of Champagne in the oh. world. Hmm. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so you will get is it some, right at the same, uh, what is that latitude? I, I don't think it could be because, I mean, it's really the closest stepping off point to the Antarctic. Yeah, so it's way down. It's way down there. Oh, I
1: know that. I mean, it's not. Uh, I, I'm saying the opposite yeah. uh, latitude. As, as oh, champagne. Oh, oh. As, as champagne, That's yeah. a good
2: question. I oh. actually should have researched well, that before I came on the back. show. <laughs> 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 yeah, but, I mean, yeah. they're, they're, they're sparkling wines and their Pinot Noirs. Um, Pinot Gris mm. are absolutely stunning. I mean, Pinot Gris is one where we're really excelling. Um, there's one area that's actually just a, a beautiful area to visit called Orange, which is outside of Sydney about three hours, and it's probably the highest elevation Wine region, oh, okay. and it's really up and coming. And their Pinot Gris and their rosés from there are oh. uh, just just divine. So,
0: are there a lot of rosés in Australia?
2: Yes, we we oh, okay. we caught the trend. We knew what would sell. <laughs> 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 it's a rosé kind of day everywhere, isn't it? So yeah, there are a lot of rosés, and I think for me, the best ones that I've tasted are coming from either Victoria or. The regions out of Sydney like Mudgee and Orange. Um, West Australia, you know, right on the beach down south of Perth, the Margaret River, Mm -hmm. Lewin Estate. I mean, their Chardonnay has had 99 points from Wine Spectator. It's it's one that really makes you sit up and pay attention. And there's a lot of really beautiful wines. A lot of um, Bordeaux, the Bordeaux blends, Sémillon, Sauvignon Blanc, Mm -hmm. but done in reverse, so Sauvignon Blanc, Sémillon. So less less of the semi on uh-huh. content, but they're just oh. beautifully ripe and bright and acid and and again great great food wines.
0: Yeah.
2: So um Do you think is there more in Australia
0: emphasis on wines being paired with food? I mean grown to be paired with food. Yeah. Or is it it happens to be great.
2: No, no, really that's, that has been a focus um, for Australian winemakers is to really make food-friendly wines. I mean, there was a day, you know, back in the 1950s where we just wanted a lot of alcohol. <laughs> I don't think that's changed. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we do have a bit of a, a reputation for our drinking habits, <laughs> like, like the Scots who, you know, we are founded from. So, <laughs> but, that, you know, that has become more and more refined and you will get more lower alcohol you know you it's hard to find you know like a chardonnay over 13% like you might in the napa valley or yeah um, so um yeah yeah way more food friendly yeah definitely across across the board really
1: yeah so for the record uh champagne is at the 49th parallel north and tasmania is at the 42nd parallel south
2: huh interesting so that's more
1: like california almost yeah
2: Huh. Yeah, it's a very cool island. I mean, I lived there for many, many years. And yeah, because
1: um, it's surrounded by so much water. Yeah,
2: beautiful rainforests. Um, oh wow! It's 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 an it's a place that I recommend. Anyone goes if they're going to Australia to make it a must because you can see so much in a short space of time. You can oh. swim with dolphins in pristine waters and without a wetsuit. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And you can go whitewater water rafting. You can have stunning wine, the, most, the freshest seafood you'll ever get anywhere, oh my gosh. and eat fresh. You know, eat truffles that are grown right there. <laughs> Isn't Tasmania where the March of the Penguins is too? No, that's actually the Mornington Peninsula. Oh, okay. Which is another wine-growing region in Victoria. Okay. So um, I thought
0: there was something on Tasmania. Was it turtles or something? There's a devil.
2: Yeah. Well, oh, <laughs> the devil. Yeah, <laughs> the poor little devil, which we're we're fighting to stop going extinct. Cause it's got a oh, bit of a no. contagious disease. But Uh-oh. I think I think we've got it. Oh, good. Warner Regions. Brothers doesn't want to try to revive them. <laughs> 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 I'm sure they're putting in a dollar or two to help. They've got to keep their cartoons going, anyway. But no, no, Tasmania mm. is. Um, there, there's a lot of wildlife that is particularly. I mean, Australia's wildlife is peculiar, full stop, yes. around the world. But Tasmania, particularly so, oh, well. you know, little tiny wallabies and oh. birds, and yeah, it's definitely things you don't find anywhere else. No, anymore. no, no. Well, it is so isolated. Yeah. Now, what made you live on Tasmania?
0: I mean, I'm off track here, but if it is isolated, was that just a, I followed, a wish? I followed a
2: boy, <laughs> <laughs> as we tend to do. But once, once I got there, um, I started working for the Heart Foundation doing, you know, all their education on healthy eating and nutrition and that kind of thing. So I got to see a lot of the island going around, talking oh, to schools yeah. and groups and doing a lot of recipe development with all the local ingredients, and it's uh-huh. given me a you know, some of the best um, farmed salmon practices um, and ocean trout that you'll see oh. in the world and just pristine waters and people oh. that really care about their environment. Mm-hmm. And it's the same for the winemakers there. There's, um, there's such history and it's a very Dutch island. There's a lot of um, Dutch settlers there that has sort of stayed as the backbone oh, okay. to Tasmania. So you'll get very honest people there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. So so those, those are really the main wine-growing mm-hmm. areas in Australia. There's many more. I mean, in Queensland, which is more the, tropical, um, on the Granite Belt, which is mm-hmm. the southernmost point in Queensland, you will get some really um, bright but high alcohol Sauvignon Blancs that, um, you know, they're, they haven't really made it anywhere except – Locally, but they're, you know, they're getting there. Yeah. But they've got so much else to offer that isn't wine, so.
0: Well, and there's so much in the southern part of the country. Why? You don't Mm -hmm. have to
2: do everything. No, no. It's like, you know, why buy wine from Florida? I don't know. Do you have grapes in Florida? (laughs) I don't think so. It seems interesting. It seems like, I mean,
0: there'd be a lot of warmth, but I don't, maybe it never cools down enough at night to really, and there's not. I'm no expert on Florida, but it doesn't seem to me there's a lot of
2: um, height. You know, there's Mm -hmm. not
0: mountains or
2: hillsides or... Well, that's something that Australia... I mean, we do, you know, we ski and we have snow, but I think our our highest mountain is Mount Everest, which is, what, 1,700 feet, should I say, Mm. I think. So, you know, we don't have huge huge. mountains and huge elevation, um, but we do have a lot of areas that do get really good warmth during the day but cool nights mm-hmm. which allows for some really nice refined yeah. wines and and we do have a lot of um european varietals that are really getting you know Roussan and marsan mm. and if you look at darenberg who are in mclaren vale um Chester Osborne is incredibly experimental and he's got some beautiful blends as well as some really pure Shiraz and Sauvignon Blanc and the quality oh, wow. of those wines. And it's interesting because it's warm climate, but it's on because it's right on the coast, you get the beautiful ocean breezes that help, you know, keep it on right. the vine a bit longer.
0: Yeah. So, I w- Does the changeability of weather ever become a problem? I know one of my brothers used to live in Melbourne and we would go out. For a walk after dinner, and said, "You know, it can change immediately because it's so close to Antarctica. All of a sudden, it can be very cold or windy."
2: And well, that's Tasmania. And when I, I moved to Napa Valley, that was something that I found quite curious to have a whole season with no rain because we really don't have that. You know, we have Mm -hmm. summer thunderstorms and you know vineyards survive and yet when it rained in summer once when I was in Napa and everyone's in a mad panic. (laughs) What are we gonna do? (laughs) And I thought it's not you know what's so unusual about that? But we do yeah, we do I mean we get and we get droughts. We're fraught with droughts. So mm-hmm. and fire as oh, last the year's fire. Fire has been terrible. So that was pretty devastating on the wine industry last yeah. year's fire. And um, the
0: same thing's happening in Napa. Yeah.
2: It is. So, yeah. It's, it's so um, harsh. A changing world we live in. Yeah, <laughs> and you you have to adapt. I mean. Mm-hmm. So do you uh
1: you stay up to date with what's going on with Australian wine now that you're living here on the Yeah,
2: I try to um, because people are always asking me and, you know, as much as, um, you know, my work before COVID was mainly going to trade shows representing Australian food and wine and going and visiting restaurants and taking samples of seafood and that kind of thing. So Mm -hmm. I'd I'd have to really step but It's it's hard because it is evolving and there are new wine regions popping up all the time. And um, so. And it's not a quick jump, you know, back. No. Let's go for the weekend and see what's happening. <laughs> no, no. I try to get back for a month every year because, you okay. know, my dad's getting on too. and so.
1: so the reason I ask is because about 10 years ago, um, I went to a wine tasting down at Canlis. Uh-huh. And there was, uh, they had a, uh, several Syras open from uh, either Washington or California. And then they poured a Shiraz reserve out of Australia and it was, it just was awesome. And you know who made it? Yellowtail. So I know I'm just wondering are we ever gonna see that come back around because it's kinda not been available to us in the States. It was the reserve and, and the regular Yellowtail is
0: not
2: no. anything to write
0: home about.
2: I you know, that's a really good question. I I couldn't answer that. I, You know, maybe um, someone washed it all up and they're not making any more. But, you yeah. know, unfor- Yellowtail hit a market that said, yep, yeah, this is drinkable and it's an incredible price point. And it's really been quite damaging to the Australian wine industry yeah. because it's made people think, well, why would I pay more than $10 for an Australian wine when I can get Yellowtail and, yeah. and not realising that we have... You know, wines that, you know, like the Lewin Estate Chardonnay might be 80 or $90, but it's worth every cent. It's so stunning. And mm-hmm. so, you know, that, that's been a bit difficult for us. Yeah. Isn't it funny? You'd think it would be a good thing and get more people
0: interested in it, but, but the, you know, I've had people, yeah. like a Vietnamese chef, tell me the same thing. We came and we're doing high-end Vietnamese food, but no one will pay more than $6 for yeah. lunch. They want it out of a truck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, we're going to wrap up, but I wanted to talk about what you're,
2: Starting to get into? Well, I'm actually um, trying to get creative with what I do here, and so I'm, I'm going to be representing a company called the Great Australian Wine Company, which has um, out of the Yarra Valley in South Australia mainly um, small boutique wineries. And so um, a couple of those are Rob Dolan, um, who used to be a winemaker for larger wineries, does beautiful wines in the Yarra Valley. Mm. Um, Bethany, which is one of the most historic ones in the Barossa Valley. Um, Paulette Estate, which is in the Clare Valley, which does the the beautiful Rieslings that I was telling Mm -hmm. you about. So I'm just starting. So keep your eyes out. And and you can get it off their website and buy the case as well
0: okay
2: so um yeah so i'm starting to dabble in a bit of that as well (laughs) represent them and and
0: show their wines off and yeah that'll be great yeah just
2: in the pacific northwest to start off yeah yeah that's great all right something different (laughs) yeah
0: good luck with that that'll be fun (laughs) thank you sally thank you so much for being here today oh it's been a pleasure thank you for having me absolutely
1: all right we're going to take a little break and when we come back connie and i have some tips and tricks
3: Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by... Revolve True Food and Wine Bar in Bothell, where a passion for wellness,
1: wonderful food, and good wine infuses everything they do. All menu items are free of gluten, grains, preservatives, trans fats, GMO, and soy. Enjoy wild seafood, organic farm-fresh eggs, and seasonal organic produce. Find them at revolvefoodwine.com. Hi, I'm Scott McLean from Walla Walla, Washington. One of my favorite
0: places to eat in Seattle is the Wild Ginger Restaurant.
1: Hi, this is Erin Lyman.
0: I own Champion Wine Cellars, and you are listening to the Seattle Dining Show.
1: back on the Seattle Dining Show. I just want to thank Sally James for dropping in today and talking with us about Australian wines. Um, Just so you know, in the future, obviously Sally has quite a resume of things that she's done culinary-wise, and we did cut another interview segment that'll come up on a future show, so look forward to that. But um, in the meantime... What are we doing here? We're doing some it's, tips and tricks like, yeah. like we haven't done any yet.
0: <laughs> yeah, like you've already gotten tons of them on this show this <laughs> month. Mine's kind of a, a broader thing. We were, we've been talking about um, in April we're going to go to the Oregon coast and probably the interior of Oregon for a little getaway. And one of the things that has come up... Not every- the interior
1: of an Oregon not just a, the interior of Oregon. Oregon.
0: Am I not pronouncing my
1: words correctly? I just want to make sure people, you know, guys like me are listening, and we yeah. can't hear too well. Well, and so. there are people who love organ meat, so oh, yeah. you I know. I just want to clarify that, like butter.
0: <laughs> oh, no, butter. I'm going to move on, like I didn't hear that. Uh, but but as your uh, things open up, and you're thinking about going someplace for a little getaway. Remember to do a little homework before you go because there's a lot of places that have closed. Oh, yeah. There are going to be new places that you might want to check out, but you need to know they're there. Mm -hmm. And uh, also you want to check to ensure the places you really love are still around. I, I talked to a friend recently who was the one who turned us on to a couple of really good places in Newport, Oregon. And he said, oh, you know, they're both gone and neither one had anything to do with the pandemic. They were closed like in January or late late 2019 or something. Huh. But, um, you know, that would have been, if we had gone, we were going to Newport, those would have been places I would have really liked to go again. Yeah. And that would have been a disappointment. So do your homework.
1: Definitely. Can you imagine all the books that are out there right now oh. with list and list of restaurants and, you know, like yeah. I, I've been using a guide for Oregon to plan out our trip, and and probably you know a certain percentage of those restaurants are gone. Yeah, and yeah, they won't be coming back. So, mm. so yeah, even if you have good guidebooks, uh, you know, even even something like a current AAA guidebook yeah. would be uh, it'd be tough. Yeah, it's it's horrible. All right, well, uh, that's a good tip, and my tip is uh, I think we talked. A while back, about I was shopping for a knife block. Mm-hmm. What did I got, I got that thing for like a buck and a half or something. Yeah. Beautiful, uh, Queasy Pro. I didn't get Queasy when I bought it either.
0: <laughs> queasy Pro. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a beautiful knife block. I got everything I wanted. But, anyways, beyond that, uh, there may be ways you want to cook that you haven't experimented with yet, and it could be a little bit pricey if you are going to buy new gear. But, um, you know, if you're in a second-hand store and you see a sous vide for 5 bucks, buy that baby. Yeah. Take it home and learn how to cook sous vide. Uh, it give you a chance to see if you like that style of cooking. Um, something like the Instapot. I'm not mm-hmm. really a big fan of them, but they're out there. And there's a lot of them in, the, in the, uh, you know, second-hand stores oh, now. Oh, interesting. Uh, obviously, there's lots of crock pots, which is sort of the... Predecessor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a, a, a nice multi cooker here. Uh, multi cookers are really cool because they can run in cycles. So there's all kinds of cooking that maybe you haven't tried doing yet, and you know it's an investment to get that that perfect piece of equipment. Mm-hmm. But if you can give it a try for $5, 10 $15, why not? Yeah. After all, it's the pandemic. Yeah. Have fun. And then later, if you don't
0: like it, sell it to a friend and say, this was really cool. I'll sell it to you for $50 and make some money.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: I'm a good friend. (laughs) a good friend. (laughs) All right. It is time to wrap up our February show. Thanks for keeping us company today or whenever you're listening. And if you're not already a subscriber to our online magazine, it's free to do so. Just go to seattledining.com and click on subscribe free.
1: All right, folks. Well, you know, things are getting better out there every day, and uh, we're going to get back to normal here. But uh, in the meantime, however you do it, we want you to dine well, dine often, and dine safe. We'll see you next month. See you next month.
3: Thanks for listening to another edition of the Seattle Dining Show. This program is a copyrighted production of Mixed Media and may not be reproduced in part or in whole without written permission of the legal owner, all right? However, feel free to share the link with all your friends on Facebook. Studio equipment for this broadcast was purchased locally at American Music of Fremont Icon. The views and opinions expressed on this show are exclusive to the host and guests and do not reflect those of former employees of Bill the Butcher, the Surrogate Hostess, the Beeline Diner, Louie's Chinese Cuisine, the Doghouse, the Five Mile House, Charlie's, the Twin Teepees, Ocean Air, Benjamin's, the Madison Park Cafe, or any other lost Seattle icon. Subscribe free to our monthly magazine online at seattledining.com and join us next time for another edition of the Seattle Dining Show.